The Lord is good. Everybody ready for some word today? Let's get on our Bibles and go over to Romans chapter 4. Romans, the fourth chapter. We began a series of messages a few weeks ago entitled Convinced. And I want to pick up where we left off. And uh, I've been endeavoring to demonstrate and show you that to be convinced of the right thing is essential in life. Now, Romans chapter 4, verse 20, reads, just talking about Abraham here, says, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced, say it with me, fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore, what do you mean therefore? How many know when you see therefore, you should see what it's there for? Therefore, in other words, because he became fully convinced, it was accounted to him for righteousness. It aligned him with the plan and purpose and promise of God. He was right with God as a result of being convinced, and that state of heart enabled God's power and ability to flow to him in accordance with what he promised. In other words, what God said to him came to pass because he became convinced that it would come to pass. If he doubted, if he wavered, if he remained in a position of uncertainty, then we would not even know his name. We would not have a record of him. He would not be held up as an example to follow. But he got to a place where he was totally sure, with no physical evidence that would, that would, that would back it. He couldn't look at something and see it. But he became sure of what God told him, and it changed his life forever. And now we have a record of this so that we can also see and recognize the value of being convinced, being fully persuaded of what God says. Amen? All right, now, now look, God is who He is. You're not going to change that. I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to make Him into someone that He's not. He just, He is who He is. What He has said, He has said. I don't change that because I believe it or don't believe it. Because I participate in His kingdom and His grace, that doesn't change the reality that it's just there. All right? But there is something on my side of this equation that is very essential, and that is when it, what it has to do with who God is to me, and what He does in me, in my life, in my surroundings, this is contingent upon what I am convinced of. Again, God is who He is. We could name a hundred things that He is, and they're all true, and they're true whether you accept it or not whether I accept it or not, right? But there are also different aspects of God's character, His nature, His promise, what He has already done on our behalf. There are different parts of that that are operating in individual lives that are here. There are many parts of what God, who He is, what He has done, that are 
actively at work in my life right now. And there are some things that He is, and we're missing out on them. That's what we want to fix. I mean, what a tragedy to have something there, but we just don't benefit from it. You know? It's like it's in the, it's in the bank, but we lost the checkbook. You know? We lost the debit card. We're, we can't access what is. And this is where we've got to get settled. You know, we could say about Jesus that, you know, He's Savior. We could say He's Lord. We could say He's the healer. We could say He's friend. He's our provider. We could say a lot of things about the Lord that are true. But is that true to you? Is He that to you? He is that, but is He that to you? And if He is that to you, then you benefit from who He is and what He wants to do. But if, if there's uncertainty in your heart as to God's place and His will and His plan for your life in regards to who He is, then we miss out on that. Okay? Now, why don't you look with me over here at Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians, the first chapter. Really what a lot of this comes down to is not what is, but what do you believe? What are you convinced of? We state and, and explain and proclaim what is so that we all have the option of getting on board. If I don't know that there is a board, then I can't get on board. If I don't know that the ship is near, how can I get on? And so my heart is, and my job is simply to proclaim what is. Tell you and give you good reason and explanation of how things work. And then your responsibility, as far as mine as well on a personal level, is am I getting on the bandwagon with this? Am I going to accept this and let, allow this to be a part of, of who I am, something that defines me? Or am I just going to allow things to exist outside of my uh, experience? I make some noise every now and then just to, just to help me out, let me know that you're here. And, uh, I, preferably positive noises. Um, <laughs> I, I like the, 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 yeah, woo, a lot better than the, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice with me in verse 24, 124. It, it reads, not that we have dominion over your faith, not that we have dominion over your faith. Does everybody understand that, that principle? I can't make you believe. You can't make me believe something. I can't force my belief onto someone else. I can't even force a blessing or a good thing from God onto someone else. I can pray for them, but ultimately what you believe is going to be what you receive. Not what I believe for you. Sometimes this can help us in this regard when you're praying for those, uh, those in-laws and uh, outlaws and whoever, you're praying for people, and you just want them so bad to believe, to walk with God, to experience His best, and, and they're not, understand that God will respect their will. I'm not telling you to stop praying and stop sharing and anything like that, but ultimately they must get to a place where they believe something, because you don't have dominion over their faith. 
I don't have dominion over, over anyone else's faith. No matter how much I am convinced of something, it will not transfer into someone's life unless the, re- unless the fact that I'm convinced will help them become convinced. But uh, eventually, you must be very settled in your own heart, and your own life, what is, what is, what's true, what's right, what God has said, and only then will you experience it. And this is not hard, by the way. This is, this is not difficult, but it is optional. It is a choice we make. Okay? He said, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. No, we're trying to keep you happy. How many know when you're, uh, one symptom of faith is joy? When you're sad, when you're depressed, you are not convinced that God has something good for your life. Huh? Admit it. He said, for by faith you stand. By whose faith? By your faith you stand. By your faith you stand. By your, for by your faith you stand. I must become convinced, then I will stand. I can have lots of standers all around me. Lots of people convinced of a lot of things. But until I get settled, then I'm not going to be able to stand like I am supposed to. All right? Uh, Look at Matthew 21. Matthew, the 21st chapter. And over here... Verse 21, 21, 21. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if someone around you or someone even nearer, someone maybe that goes to your church, has faith, I'm reading from the <laughs> the reverse standard version. <laughs> uh, notice what he said, Assuredly I say to you, if you have faith, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. Notice the language again, and the emphasis is on the individual person believing something. An individual person being convinced, he said, if you get this, then this will happen for you. Let's never be satisfied in something happening just in someone else's life. I mean, we're thankful for what happens in other people's lives that is good, but why don't we all just jump in? Why Why don't we all have some fun? Why don't we all enjoy the blessings and increase that God has for us? We can't, we all can, but we must absolutely have it ourselves. Jesus said something in, in uh, Matthew 16. He was talking to his disciples one day. And he, he was asking them about the buzz on the street, the word going around. He said, Who, who's, everybody, who's everyone say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And they started giving him answers. Say, yeah, I heard this. Some people are say you're this or you're, you know, you're one of the prophets or you're this. Then he, he finished that and he said, okay, that's what people are saying. He said, who do you say that I am? The ones who were close, the one had good reason, the ones who had good reason to know, the ones who had evidence before them. Who do you say that I am? I think that's a good question for us. Everybody with me? It's a good question. Not who does everybody else say? Fine, we'll take a survey. We'll find out what do you say. But ultimately, what you say about the Lord does not change me. What you say about the Lord does not impact my finances. 
does not impact my health or my marriage or my mental state. But what I say about the Lord, what I make, what is a reality in my heart, that will change my existence, my life going forward. We are constantly presented with options, contradicting positions and differing opinions. I think it's not good enough to be able to articulately explain all the different positions in life. Well, some people say this about God, and others say this about God, and yet still other people, they say this about God. Uh, Well, what do you say? And someone can be educated. They could be highly knowledgeable of all the different opinions, of all the different positions about various subjects and issues in life. But being knowledgeable about all the possibilities is different from you being certain. From you having not only an opinion, but moved on from your opinion to where, no, I know this now. This is me. This is what God has shown me. This is what I have discovered to be true. This is the way things are. Of course, we should never be in a position of pride where we just hold fast to a belief even if it's wrong. But we all need to become settled and certain about various things. I have some suggestions later uh, in another message about what you should be convinced of. But there, uh, you don't have to be convinced of everything. You don't have to be certain about everything. There are things in life that I'm not certain of. There, there, are, there are subjects that I have an opinion about, but I wouldn't bank my life on. But there are other things in life that I have become, didn't, wasn't born that way, I have become sure about, certain. And because of that, it impacts me every single day. It impacts my life, what I experience, my decisions, where I go, where I don't go, what I do, what I don't do. It's all changed because I'm convinced of certain things. These just are. And you might as well not bother trying to move me on that. Amen. Now, I I live with a backdrop of I'm a human being and I could be wrong and I've been proven wrong before. If I find I'm wrong, I'm changing quickly to be right, to be convinced of something that's true. Praise the Lord. Okay, so let's start talking a little bit now about how to become convinced. How does a person get from, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm uncertain, I'm just trying to figure this out, to a place where they are solid as a rock, etched in stone, I know for sure. Because, th- again, I want to I get back to the benefits of this. When someone is in that place, they experience God. They experience His blessing. They experience His fullness. But the wavering, uncertain, unsure person doesn't. Someone said, I don't like that. I don't think that's fair. Well, some things are true whether you like them or not. They just are. But we can be there concerning the things that are most important and that pertain to our life. So, how does one become convinced? I am convinced that a person becomes convinced... Because of evidence. I can become, I can be persuaded if presented enough evidence regarding anything that's before me. If there's no evidence, I can't be convinced. But if there is, I can be. Okay? And so evidence is something that we need. Now, uh, we see this all the time in our land with the court system. This is how we determine if someone goes to jail or not, typically. 
You know, there's a a jury. Evidence is presented. What we need to be certain of someone's guilt or innocence or other things in life is we need someone who was an eyewitness. We We need someone who had an experience. They were there. They experienced something and then they testify of their experience or what they saw and then those listening weigh the evidence and say yep he did it or nope no way that person did that this is true this is not true based upon that evidence I know that some unbelievers preach that if you're going to become a Christian then you have to set aside all logic you have to ignore critical thinking you have to just just basically accept something without evidence. How many know just the opposite of that is what's true? That's what's pushed. That's what's said. That's what many of us are accused of. But just the opposite is true. God never intended for you to check your brain at the door. For you to approach the Word of God and just be a, oh, I don't know anything, I can't see, I'm unaware, you know. No, no, no. God wanted, uh, wanted us to use our brains. And I don't mean apart from the, the work of the Spirit, but come to a conclusion based upon the evidence that is here of the reality of Him, the reality of Jesus and what He did for us on the cross and that He was raised from the dead. See, just the opposite of what we're many times accused of is true. There are many people that have gotten saved as a result of Study. When I, when I say study, I don't, again, I'm not talking about apart from the Spirit of God drawing them. That's always necessary. God's always involved in anyone getting saved. Okay, But the Lord led them down that path. They were more intellectual and they looked for evidence to see if the claims of the Bible were true or weren't true. And at the end, there are many people this way. There may be some here that have, I know there are people in our church that are, that are this way, just don't know if you're in this service or not, but uh, you've come to the conclusion after looking at evidence that, uh, yep, this is right. The claims of the Bible are true. I'd be an idiot to not get saved. I'd just really be a fool to not give my heart and life to the Lord Jesus right now and be born again. And they do that, again, based upon the overwhelming evidence of what is and that what they have seen. Now, when someone looks at proof for something, this is basically something that to get them beyond a reasonable doubt, talking about how things work in accord again, and a verdict is reached based on the testimony uh, that is given, based upon the weight of evidence, sometimes written testimony, sometimes oral testimony, sometimes there's exhibits like, here's the gun, and uh, you know, here's the bullet, and here's their journal, and here's the, you know, different things are presented in court, so, so that a person can at the end of that hopefully be very certain as to what happened or what didn't happen. And again, based upon the, the validity and the quality of that evidence, people can walk out of there saying, yep, this is what happened, we know it, even though we weren't there. Even though this happened some period of time ago, we're certain based upon the evidence that is presented. Now and then you'll hear someone say, when talking about the Bible, when talking about Jesus, when talking about the resurrection uh, of Jesus, they'll say, well, you can't prove these things scientifically. And many times people will go, 
Yeah, you're right. We can't prove it. We just believe it. <laughs> and uh, and, and they, they back off into a weak position instead of understanding. There are certain things in life that a scientific approach is valid for, and there are certain things it's completely the wrong question to ask. How many know you don't ask if you can prove Jesus was raised from the dead scientifically? That is not fall into the realm of science, a scientific research. Does that make sense? You cannot prove what you did yesterday scientifically. That has to do with bringing someone in who questions and reproducing before them the event that you're describing. And they say, yep, okay, we have empirical evidence now that this is true. We're not going to put Jesus back on the cross and, you know, redo this and get empirical evidence to show it's the wrong kind of test. Is everybody with me? Just like, just, just like you might not be able to uh, say, I can't scientifically prove uh, that Boise State barely won the football game that they should have won big uh, yesterday. <laughs> you say, well, yes, you can. No, there's evidence. I know there's evidence, but I can't reproduce it. We can't put it in a laboratory and, and analyze it. No, you can look at the evidence that's there, right? Okay, that is the way that we are to look at the events that got us to where we are in our understanding of God and for some can help get them down the road to a position where they're not wondering, not uncertain, not questioning, but sure, but certain. It is looking at the evidence that has been left us. Praise God. And so here's something I want you to think about today and, and, and consider these, uh, these, these um, truths. When you look at the apostles of the Lord, I mean the original 12 apostles, okay? We know that one of them, uh, Judas Iscariot, we know how he left. He, you know, committed suicide after he betrayed the Lord, so that didn't turn out too well. <laughs> but the others, okay, let's look at the other 11. Based upon some record we have in Scripture, it doesn't give us the end of their lives for the most, of, most part, but other uh, historical evidence, testimony, other documents outside the Bible. It's interesting how these guys, these 11 guys, ended their life, how their life was finished. Let me give you what's generally accepted. So, again, a couple of these are in the Bible, but others are not. Peter was crucified. How many know that doesn't, probably doesn't feel good? I haven't experienced that, but that's not the way I'm wanting to go. Crucifixion, that's like... Ow. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, he was crucified. Matthew was, was killed with a sword. John, uh, he was, we understand that he died a natural death. James, the son of Alphaeus, was crucified. Philip was crucified. And Simon, well, he was crucified. And uh, Thaddeus, killed by arrows. Thomas, uh, a spear thrust. That's got to hurt. Uh, Bartholomew was, well, he was crucified. And James, the son of Zebedee, killed with a sword. Now, this is interesting to me because here's the thing. All these guys, what they preached, what they taught, what they proclaimed, 
in their day eventually resulted in me getting saved. I have received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, because of what they did. Now, not directly, although some of it directly because of the words that were written, but they said it, and they proclaimed it, and others believed it, and they proclaimed it and said it, and others believed it, and of course we have the written record, and all these things happened, and eventually, here I am. And I prayed one day, and I accepted what I heard. I believed it to be true, and God changed my life. And since then, I have seen Him do many, many things. I've seen many healings and miracles right before my own eyes. That's another subject for now. But I got to that place as a result of what these guys did. And when you look at their lives, it's very interesting how all but one left in a really painful way. And when I look at their lives, I think, okay, these guys are the ones that walked with Jesus. They were with Him, and some have said, well, you know, this was a big hoax. They decided to get together and write scriptures and come up with this story and spread this thing. Why would they do that? And if someone said, well, maybe they profited, maybe they made some money based upon it, maybe it was personal gain and they colluded to, to, to put this thing on and now a couple thousand years later there, there's millions and millions and millions of people all over the world and it's a big sham. It's not even true. I'm going back to looking at how they died. I'm going back to look at why they died that way. And you know the reason was, is because they were killed, they were persecuted to death because of what they said. And specifically, because of what they said about Jesus. That He was the Son of God, that He died on the cross for their sins, which most of them in their day, they probably accepted that part, well at least the dying part, not for the sins part. But then that He was raised from the dead and He is alive now. And for holding true to that, they died. In horrendous, terrible ways, they died. That says something to me. Now, I want to read a couple verses to you. You can follow along if you'd like. One of them is Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter 1 and verse 16. Peter writes here, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They were what? They were eyewitnesses. How how do we determine something is true or false, something that we cannot see because it happened in the past? Well, one big way, not the only way, one big way is you listen to eyewitness testimony. Was there anyone there that did see it? Was there anyone that did experience what they're talking about? And he said, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Okay, another one is in Acts chapter 1. This is Luke writing the book of Acts. He wrote the book of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. And he's at the beginning of this book introducing this. And he said about the things commanded by the, to the apostles whom he had chosen about Jesus. In verse 3 it says, to whom... 
He also presented himself alive. Jesus did what? Presented himself alive after his suffering by many. Uh, excuse me. By, after his suffering, presented himself alive by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So these guys, which guys? These guys who gave their life and others, and others gave their lives besides the 12, but we're just analyzing them or the 11. These guys who all took it to the grave, who all went out on a very uh, harsh note, they said, what we are telling you about Jesus and about Him being raised, and about Him being the Son of God, about Him uh, being the Savior, about all these things, we witnessed this firsthand. We saw this with our own eyes. This is not something that we heard from someone else. We were firsthand there, and that's why we're telling you these things, and that's why we are taking this stand. Someone might say, well... Maybe they were lying about it. Just because it's written, maybe they were lying about it. But are you really going to take a lie? Are you really going to hold fast to a lie while you're being nailed to a cross? While you are personally not gaining any benefit from it whatsoever, but going out of life as a liar, as a deceiver, and yet you're saying as a spear is thrust through you, as swords are hitting you, as arrows, as you're being hung on a cross, Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm kind of thinking at some point when you're making it up, uh, somewhere in there you go, uh, just, just kidding. <laughs> right? And, and we say, well, they could have been deceived. No, they couldn't. This was not talking about something that they perceived. We could be deceived. They were talking about something they witnessed firsthand. The Lord appeared to them afterward and showed them what? Many infallible proofs. They were convinced to such a degree that they allowed themselves to be beat, to be tortured, to be killed for their testimony. This is a big thing. This is a big deal. This is something that moves me. We, we read in Hebrews about those who were tortured, and yet they would not accept deliverance so they'd have a better resurrection. Well, one way that someone in these situations can stop the torture, can stop the execution, is by saying, I give up. I give in. I denounce the Lord Jesus. I I'm no longer going to proclaim His name. That's how you get out of those kind of situations and those kind of deaths, and yet they wouldn't do it. You see what we're talking about here? There are so many things just like this. I'm just giving you a small sampling. But that's how a person can become convinced. It's one of the ways. I'll give you more later. But it's how a person can become convinced by looking at the evidence, not by ducking our head in the sand and saying, I don't know, I don't know, this is just, uh, you know, just something out there, I'm just kind of meditating and, and uh, I, I, I refuse to think, I refuse to use my brain. No, no, God has left us with eyewitness testimony that says these things are the way they are. And something that moves me in everything else now, I, you've heard, some of you have heard me say this before. But if I've got something that Jesus said, 
and I've got a counter opinion. Something's being said that's the opposite. My brain thinks this way. Okay, you say this, and Jesus said this. You're some guy who lives on Fifth Street, and you might be smart, you might have degrees. Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm going with him. You know, once I have seen the evidence and I have been convinced and have come to the conclusion about the reality of what Jesus said, of what he did, about what he accomplished on my behalf, now he's got the right, he's got the place in my heart to say anything and I believe it. He's got the right to do anything and he's the one that was raised from the dead. He's the one that did what no one else can do and I'm going to go ahead and go with his word. And I have come to a conclusion based upon that and many other things that I can trust the Word of God. I can trust the written account and things that God inspired people to say. I can take them to the bank and write checks on them now. I can base my life upon them. I can now lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Why? Because I am convinced that what Jesus said about that is true. And then the persuasion, then the convincing evidence gets magnified again and again and again because you see everything that he said would happen if you would do such and such and you see it happen and you've got evidence galore coming around your life. that There's no way in China you could be talked out of it. That is what will help us to get certain and settled and experience God like many people will never. Praise God. Once we get to a place in our lives concerning just the foundation of this or any other thing, we get to a place where we are settled and we have seen the evidence that God has left us. And I'm not just talking about what we talked about today. That's just a small part. We see the evidence of His existence, His nature, His love. For us to continue in a quandary is unbecoming. For us to remain in a place where we're always questioning, it it doesn't show a strength of mind. To take a position where we're always just critical of everything that God has promised and all these things. No, that's, that's not really something that we should feel good about. God wants you and me to become certain of what He said. Because then, just like Abraham, it'll be accounted to us for righteousness. It puts you in a right place with God where His blessing and His power flows unhindered. Amen. We must take a look at the revelation of Jesus and come to a conclusion in our hearts as to His place in our lives. We must also become resolute in our conviction of what He has said, making it the final word in all matters pertaining to our lives. Amen. Amen. The Lord is helping us, I believe. Helping us to not be wimpy, to not be waverers, to not be continual waverers and doubters, but to be strong for Him. We live in a time and a day where there is pressure and it is on the rise. It is increasing pressure that we would conform to the world, that we would denounce not only the Lord, not only God, but of course many of us are beyond doing that, we're, we're in, all right? 
but to get Christians, to get believers to denounce certain parts of God's word, of his righteousness, of his holiness. There's cultural pressure that will try to get you to give in, to give up, to bend your beliefs because they're not accepted in mainstream. It's time for us to have some believers who will stand strong, though. Who will, if, not, if you're not already, to become convinced. And if you are, to stay, to remain strong, knowing that there will be an onslaught of ideas and pressure. It can come in the workplace, come from family. It comes from the TV every single day. Pressure to get you to bend and to have a, not to have a spine. You know what I'm talking about? To back off of the truths that you know are right. And we must remain strong. It's essential that we do. Praise God.